Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Fan Fuel. And tonight is a very special one because not only are we going over speed weeks, but uh, we're joined, as always, by Colton Cranmore. And then filling in for Nathan and uh, Jared tonight is my dad, Chad. Uh, but it is the 50th episode for Fan Fuel. Uh, I want to kind of throw it over to my dad because uh, there's something really interesting about that number 50, especially this year. So what does that 50 mean for you? Uh, well, as of June 1st, that will be exactly my age, which is your mom's already made fun of me. But it's actually a demi-centennial celebration being a half a century. And that just means I'm getting older. Yeah. So and, well, and and of course you're making me older because you're getting older and it just Lord have mercy. Yeah. So I uh, just wanted a quick shout out of that because it is episode fifty. So sorry that we could not get Nathan on here tonight or Jared. Jared's got a playoff game. Nathan's got some stuff uh, with being a pre med student that is uh, really strenuous on your schedule. It seems we tried to move the show around to get him on. We wound up not being able to. So. I uh, hope studying is going well, bud, and uh, uh, we'll have to have my dad in your presence because instead of you giving your accounts, my dad, Chad, was at the racing this weekend in Daytona, and he was also doing some stuff earlier. So what have you been doing the last few weeks? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, I actually got to go to Tampa and go to East Bay, but everybody in the dirt world knows that East Bay is only going to be around for one more year before the uh, mining company that owns that property and everything actually take it over. So as a bucket list track, it was very cool to go down there and, and do work and sell mats to some teams and actually show them the product and everything but also get to see some great racing and everything on that little third mile bull ring that um, where they can run from top to bottom. I mean, we had some guys come in there in the corners and hit the Ute tire and just screw their whole front end up. And then we had some running around ripping their spoiler and right rear quarter panels off as they was ripping the wall off right at the top of the cushion. So, and then we followed that up with a trip to Volusia and got dirt racing that week and filled it out with the rest of it with Daytona and the duels and Volusia again on Friday. And then I was at uh, the Xfinity Garage Friday and all day Saturday. Got to watch the ARCA race a little bit, but you can't see much from pit road. You just get to see the big screens and everything for that much. And, uh, and then of course, seeing the first full 500 miles, even though I did go to the Daytona 500 in 2020, I actually got to see all 500 miles run on the same day. So it was kind of, kind of awesome. And then where we were sitting on pit out, it was, it was pretty neat. So we had a pretty good two week trip full of racing and everything. And, I'll tell you right now, it's pretty nice to know that I walked as much as I did for averaging over 12,000 or 13,000 steps a day, but I, I got to where I was feeling it by the end of the second <laughs> week. Yeah. Well, while you were doing all that, I was stuck at work, but uh, I don't think we had it quite as bad as Colton. What's What's it been like over there in Wyoming? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, cold. Up here we say a witch's tip. Um, it's 
<laughs> it's been super cold. Today is the first day uh, right around 1 o'clock. It got above zero degrees for the first time in about 48 hours. Um, we had a na- uh, wind chill index on Tuesday of 40 below zero. Um, and for those of you that say your state is unpredictable on this upcoming Tuesday, it will be almost 100 degrees warmer than that. So, yeah, F this I, state. Can't wait to move. I can't, Man, I, cannot, I can't fathom that. I don't even want to know. I had to I, get a new battery for my truck because it froze. Damn. Wow. It's it's cold enough that if you're outside for any more than like 90 seconds or so, your fingers will start to freeze. Um, your mustache and facial hair freezes almost immediately as soon as you go outside. Um, if you spit, it'll freeze before it hits the ground. Wow. Yeah, it's it's cold. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I would not wish that on anyone. You you live in quite honestly hell. Um, yeah. So let's get, yeah, let's get into uh, let's get into speed weeks. Um, whiskey will still freeze. That is incredible. Whiskey will freeze. Um, that is incredible. Let's get into speed weeks. So um, just kind of want to run through speed weeks, Tuesday through Sunday, abbreviated, of course, since we did the clash in L.A. Uh, let's get on here to uh, Tuesday. What did you guys think about the action on, on Tuesday? You know, it was it was good to see cars back on track at Daytona. Um, I wasn't too focused on lap times or anything just because I know how practice for this goes. Um but it was it was really cool to see all the paint schemes, all the cars come out, all the cars work together. Um, it was really just an excuse for me to you know bombard the TV for you know a couple hours and watch cars. To me, it was more along the lines of a better speed weeks than what we had seen in the past because we did get more practice this year than we got last year, and we got to actually see cars on a super speedway not the quarter mile short track to see how they were actually going to do and of course we saw different types of drafts and we saw some single car runs and everything to get ready for pole night on Wednesday and it was to me that was a little different because you you thought you saw something good and then you you question it once you get to Thursday in the race and then you question it again when you see the 500 it's like the learning curve and the way the engineers and everything all are now it's it's incredible of what they learn and how they master what they've learned and put all the changes in together to get those cars faster so fast within a week and two practice sessions qualifying and a little basically a qualifying race yeah um one of the things i was looking at was uh the fact that we came into here uh you know expecting this, that, and the other, everyone's throwing out whatever they think as an armchair racer um, is going to happen with these cars, how they're going to draft, if they're going to be able to tandem, whatnot. We got to start seeing some of that. Hearing the engines roar, you know, I mean, we had the, the clash, but it was a little bit separated this this year. And, and finally getting practice back, it was a breath of fresh air for, you know, a long off season, um, And seeing the teams kind of experiment on day one really made me excited. I was kind of a little bit uh, annoyed that NASCAR clamped down on the skew and stuff. I know people don't like the way it looks and it's looking like a crab instead of a race car or whatever. I just, it's incredible to me that with, with such small boxes that we have with this next gen car, we saw stuff that NASCAR deemed uh, 
necessary to uh, nip the bud on. So that was really cool for me. Uh, but we moved right from two practice sessions on Tuesday into uh, two qualifying sessions on Wednesday. And I know you have a pretty um, big opinion on this, Colton. How do you feel about Daytona qualifying being two rounds? Uh, I don't like it. Um, just because I, I'd rather them do two laps than two rounds. Um, I don't see the purpose of it. I mean, we saw lap times. They came down a little bit in that second session, but for the most part, it's all the guys stay the same. Um, I just didn't really see a purpose in it. We did uh, see a change. Yes. Now, I will say this. Uh, I myself, for the second round, if they're going to keep it this way to do – the one lap for round one and then let them build up the speed and have two laps in round two. If they're going to really set the pole, let the cars get up to full song. Right. Right. So let's, let's see the true speed that that one car can have for two laps. Like they used to always do at Talladega and Daytona. Once the restrictor plates came into play back in the eighties and nineties and because it takes so long for them to get wound up. By the time they get back and hit fifth gear somewhere between the exit of turn two and halfway down the straightaway, it's about a lap before they get completely wound up and they're taking the green at that point and they're not wound up yet. And they're going into one and two and then they're finally wound up. So if they were able to take that next lap as, you know, the first lap and high and one and two and three and four and come down that hill and then hit the bottom for a lap it would be incredible or we know that jeff gordon had a knack for just keeping his momentum up and he would take two complete laps around the bottom and cut it so short that his car was wound up for the bottom lane to begin with so it could be that we could see different options on a two-lap run versus a one-lap run but preview got a little speed in round one with one lap, and then let's see what you got in round two. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of with Colton on this. I don't need two rounds. Maybe for the later super speedway races, we could do what you're saying with a second lap. Uh, we don't really need it for the rest of the the sessions for the mile and a half to short tracks, what have you. Um, I think the 670 package and the the lack of of down force is going to make them lift in the corners on those tracks. But for me, I'm more, let's be a little bit more traditionalist. Um, let's, let's do two laps, uh, pole sitter and the outside pole sitter. We lock them in and we go run the duels on Thursday. I mean, there's no need for qualifying to be a show. Um, the thing that we're doing is we're spotlighting drivers, um, that are trying to race, or qualify uh, into the front rows and then also race their way in on Thursday. Some of the, some of the new names, the, the money team with Kaz Grala, uh, the 44 car with Greg Biffle, et cetera. Um, you, you're going to get spotlight on, on those cars because they're going to have one or two full laps on TV. And you can still do the same amount of uh, time uh, with a two lap session. You just have to have two cars on track at the same time. And it's very easily done on a two and a half mile track. Uh, so that we are seeing the fast lap for each car in succession one after another. So um, I'd rather see that. Uh, they don't have tape to play with this year, so it's not like they can tape them off so that they can get all the revs out of them in the one lap anyways. But uh, 
I mean, we move from Wednesday to Thursday. Now, we build up speed, honestly, every year with speed weeks, whether it's been two weeks or, or this abbreviated thing. Um, and Thursday, we go to the duels. Um, and I do want to ask, we have a lot of people calling these races boring. Did you guys find these races boring? And would you go so far to say that they were a flop? Yeah. Yeah, I think we need to – They NASCAR should re, uh, reformat the duels, um, especially with the charter system. There's really not a huge purpose to them any more than there is just moving up a couple rows in terms of your starting position or falling back a few rows. Um, if we're going to keep the duels, I'd like to see the distance cut out, just cut that pit stop out. Um, because, I mean, we heard the guys on Door Bumper Clear this week talk about how on Sunday they still had no idea what to expect for the 500, and the duels should have solved that. But with the duels nowadays, it doesn't. There's no sense of racing into the duels anymore other than four cars, you know, two cars per race. Um so I think get rid of that. If they're going to do any tour races, just do them 20, 30 laps, call it good. Um, or just pill drop like they used to do for the bud shootout, you know, anywhere, not the front row, you get a pill drop for your start. Well, being that Colton, you watched it on TV. I was, I was there in the stands. So I didn't have to watch the Fox bullshit of the director in the trailers telling them what they wanted to watch on TV. So to me, even though there was only 22 cars in there, right, you know, or 20 cars in each one, 22, one of the two, I don't remember. Maybe it was 21 in each one, 42 and 40 started. But to me, I think they ought to have the Daytona 500 start 42 cars anyway. But it's the biggest race. You should have the biggest field. Four, two cars ain't going to make that big of a difference, and it also don't make the show any better. It could. It may not. But it definitely makes the duels better because then you have one more spot that you're having to focus on versus, okay, somebody's already gotten in. Who's the next car getting in? You only had three of those cars that were able to get in for each one. So to me – I was able to watch it and watch what they were doing. And when these cars come in and got separated out and the, it, it didn't take long for these cars to, when they started drafting, it's like that fifth or sixth car, that air come over them. And it was, it would suck them away from that fifth car, suck them away from that fourth car with the four cars together. Sort of reminded you of like 1992 when all four cars would stick together and they would just haul tail. Um, it's kind of nostalgic to me to watch that, but seeing it in person and being able to watch these four and five car drafts the whole time once they got split during the pit stop in there was kind of neat. And and knowing that it would only take nine to 11 laps and there was four cars would catch whoever dropped off the tail of one of those and they could be about a half a lap behind and they dropped the draft in the eight or nine laps, them jokers were going to lap down. And it was, it was definitely interesting to see the different ways that they come in and pitted, took gas and whatnot, and how much gas they took when they decided to, because that actually made it to where certain groups of cars got out in the lead. And then they either pulled away or another group caught them. It, it was to me. It was more fun watching it in person than what I've seen on TV because I watched them on YouTube 
I think it was somebody that actually put them up there and we watched part of it like Sunday morning. And it was like, well, I know I was there, but that ain't what I saw. Thank you, Fox, for screwing that up. Well, we know that uh, they do a, a great job um, with their uh, broadcasting. We'll, we'll get we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, for me, I don't know uh, that we need to change up a lot for the duels. Um, I think maybe increasing the points total um, could be enough to give people uh, a bit of an incentive to race. I'm not sure. I think, honestly, these duels were just bad because – we don't have any cars to mess up. Uh, the only guy that, that uh, wrecked a car, um, wrecked his basically teammate's car, said he was going to be aggressive, and that was Joey Logano. Um, I mean, that's because nobody have had cars. I, I don't think we have this problem next year. Uh, if the duels are absolutely awful like they were this year, next year, uh, we can talk about it. Um, I did want to bring in something about uh, Roush uh, – Fenway Kislowski, Ralph Kislowski, Fenway, however you say it. Uh, Brad Kislowski's new team. He did not make the main in the LA clash. Uh, and he and Chris Busher came out there and won the duels. Uh, I don't think they were being any more aggressive than anybody else that, out there until those last laps. What did you guys think about that as a stark turnaround from what we saw out there in LA? Um, you know, Brad's a really good super speedway racer. Um, Busher has some good finishes as well. I think Brad just brought his knowledge of how to get to the end in a good spot in these super speedway races and kind of pass some of that along to Busher and his team. Um, and they were just right place, right time. Um, Brad heavily benefited from Austin Cindric ditching Blaney, um, you know, and not pushing Blaney, um, you know, because they would have had a huge steam or a huge head of speed, whatever you want to call it, um, around the outside of Keselowski there. Um, and the second duel, of course, Logano throwing that block. I still don't think Busher would have came around to win it if they had stayed green the whole time. Right. Um, you know, so right place, right time. And I think that just alludes to Brad Keselowski's knowledge of these races and how to get to the end of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, also Logano throwing the shittiest block I've ever seen. Um, and and he wants to say the run was was coming too fast or faster than he thought it was, but I mean, there was there was a good three quarters of a second before he moved. Yeah. Well, that that you can lay on the spotter. If his spotter was just a tick too sh slow on that, the re reaction of him hearing it and processing it—that's what got him spun. You know, I hate to say that, but he you can't watch the mirror the whole time when you're driving in a corner. Straight away, yeah, I can see that. So yeah, I mean. It, it was a team effort between the spotter and Joey Logano that got Logano turned sideways. But as far as Roush Fenway, Keselowski racing goes, I think we are seeing the parody of these chassis, these bodies for each manufacturer. And you just saw the sheer dominance of that Roush Yates horsepower. And it doesn't matter which car it was in. I mean, 34 were in good. 22 ran good, 6 and 17 ran good, any Ford that had them ran good. I mean, Harrison Burton just sort of bided his time in the duels and just learned how to draft those cars. So, but the experience between Logano and Busher and Keselowski was far superior to some of these other guys. 
and how they actually race those cars. And I'm pretty sure that Keslowski was helpful on the radio a little bit with Busher after he had already run that first race and won it because he was able to tell him things that he learned in the first race that helped him right. out. And that, that's what you call being a good teammate. Brad has never been a bad teammate. He will help anybody and everything, especially now that his name's on that on that building. He's going to make sure that his guys have got what it takes to win. Yeah, well, and I can understand that. I mean, he's playing new hat just like Denny Hamlin did last year with having a teammate, but also a team that he owned in the 23 um, and you saw a little bit of, of ideology change ideology change for him uh, over the course of that season. I'm sure we'll see the same uh, with uh, Kez this year. Uh, moving on to Friday, though, um, I'm just going to kind of gloss over the truck race. Um, it was a procedural truck race for me. I don't know if you guys have any um, other things to say about that, um, but since you were not at Daytona for that. What were you doing on Friday? I went to Volusia for my last dirt race that night. And um, we were, I mean, Brandon Overton has been fast all week at Volusia. And I was down there helping and working, working a little bit with him and, you know, just doing what I could when, when they needed some extra help and everything. And, you know, checking on all the other drivers. And it's kind of nice when you, um, work on the mats for these guys and you get to know them i think it was wednesday and friday you know 18 out of the 30 teams have mats that we produce at my work so that's pretty stout um knowing that you've got that many guys that you deal with and it's kind of fun to go and hang out with those because they will stop and talk to you for a little longer then you can get somebody to talk to you in the cup or Xfinity garage with the exception of two or three that I, I really have good ties to in the Xfinity garage. So, I mean, you know, you just one of the guys at one place and then you just sort of like a fan and, you know, a manufacturer at once you get to that NASCAR level. So, and knowing that Saturday was going to be a long day, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to book it over there Saturday because the Xfinity race was starting so late. So I went and watched one more last dirt race on Friday. So speaking about Saturday, um, we had a couple of races on the big track at Daytona and that was mm -hmm. the Arkham Menard series opener. And of course the Xfinity season opener, you said Chad that you saw a little bit of the Arca race. Uh, I'm going to assume that Colton and I saw a lot of bit of it. I know that I watched the whole thing. Colton, uh, yeah, you did too. Um, anything notable to say about the race finish before we get into some of the bonehead moves from that race? No, I mean, uh, Venturini Motorsports knows what they're doing there. They're going to make yeah. sure one of their cars gets to victory lane. Yeah, yeah I saw I mean, a lot of complaints online from that. Uh, Corey Heim got out front and none of his teammates uh, were allowed to uh, pass him. So I don't know if there's a bit of team orders going on there or not, or the 20 car just had a little bit more horses in it than his teammates. But uh, that that race from the lead battle for me was not very fun to watch. It was very boring. Well, I mean, you got to look at these ARCA drivers in a different light. 
it's expensive as hell to run. Those cars are not cheap, but their budgets are like a tenth of what an Xfinity team would be and so forth. So can you blame a Venturini Motorsports head figure saying that, all right, guys, no matter who gets the lead when it comes down to one or two to go, we all protect the one in front because we don't need to tear any of these cars up if we got one, two, three, or one, two, four. If if that third place guy gets out of line, you automatically go with your guys, not him. And then maybe we can get a top three, one, two, three. It's it's very, very to me, it's very money oriented and points conscious and smart business in racing when you get to that level because they only run two super speedways a year and those two cars cost the biggest amount of money compared to the ones they run on the short tracks and the intermediate tracks throughout the season. So I, I'll, I'll follow you up with those comments and say, what's the point of watching ARCA race those, those two races in? Is it just a tradition? Because we know that ARCA has been a failing series. NASCAR takes it over. They start coming back a little bit. That was a very big Arkham Menard series roster to have 36 cars on track. I will give you that. But the risk versus reward for these guys to just come in there and tear up all this stuff and they're not getting paid even a fraction of what the truck teams are making, what is the point of having them on those big tracks that could cause this much chaos? Um, To me, it's got to be – there has to be – track time on some of these bigger tracks that these these littler teams and these more unknown drivers to most of what nascar is that they don't know who these drivers are well they can get out there and prove to them that they can handle these cars on those size tracks so that if they see them win or they see them run in the top five consistently it makes a truck owner say hey, let's give this kid a shot. Or, hey, an Xfinity team, let's give this kid a shot. You know, it's not always about money, and we'll discuss this one a little bit later, I know. But um, some do have the money, and they can skip up, and NASCAR just won't let them run Daytona or Talladega without running one of the ARCA races first. So it's not just tradition, it's a building and stepping stone for the drivers that they have to check off that block before NASCAR will approve them to do so. You got anything on that one, Colton, or are you ready to move right on into it? No, no, I think those are good points, um, that it is kind of a feeder series. Um, I agree with both sides that these cars are just a little too expensive to really, I mean – I don't even know the word I'm looking for. I'm stumbling all night here. I haven't had enough coffee yet um, to uh, make that race worthwhile. Um, but I do see like the whole licensing thing about it. And you got to give these kids some experience. Um, maybe we cut that race down from 80 laps to 45, you know? Well, also too, think about the ARCA East series race that raced at new Smyrna on Tuesday night. They only had 17 entries. But the overall ARCA series had 37 or 38 cars go in for that field for Daytona, right? Some of those cars were the same exact cars that were run Tuesday night at New Smyrna. Right. And I don't I don't mind that. Um, but the fact that these 
I mean, this is a totally different show. I could go on about my dislike of the ARCA platform and, and how it's pretty ass backwards for anyone trying to get into Cup or either of the other two lower series just because of the money. It's not it's not a valuable space, in my opinion, for anyone other than the big names like the Venturinis, but that's for another day. Uh, and it's not a valuable place for people to be known. So let's get into it. Um, there was an argument sometime around August, maybe as late as October last year from this driver, uh, and they said that they were tired of not getting a shot because some other kids um, were coming in with big sponsors or big money uh, along the likes of Natalie Decker, Haley Deegan, Riley Herbst, and Ty Gibbs, um, and I'm not getting a shot. Uh, and I think we can all say that he proved why he shouldn't have gotten a shot. And my rant tonight is going to be brief, but I'm just going to say it re real right here. Uh, Drew Dollar is a talentless hack. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sure my dad being so close to Jeremy Clements has a lot to say about that. And I'll hit him first after I get done. But come on, man. You're going to sit here and complain about guys not having – any talent going up before you just because they've got money and sponsors yet you're what 28 years old you've been ra racing arca for six years you've won one race and um then all of a sudden you make the same shitty move off of two or get loose on a super speedway and trash your car come on man well you you get you do know that drew had started legends and bandoleros and everything at Atlanta and Charlotte. So I've seen him race before he got into this late models and the ARCA and everything else. So I've seen him spin out once or twice, maybe more, but you know, some kids are lucky and they get to go up that ladder. However, he did wreck three cars in less than 24 hours if you consider the truck race at the time that it was to the time that he wrecked that xfinity car just after 5 p.m you know what i'm saying yeah it, he did not even make 24 hours he wrecked in the arca race he wrecked in the xfinity race and the truck race something's got to tell you that he might want to slow down and get some extra experience somewhere because if jeremy's upset like that imagine how many other people are upset with him because they got collected in it, but they didn't have to get on the mic and tell it because they stayed in the race and got their cars repaired. But I'm pretty sure that a lot more people thought the same way Jeremy did about that, about the non-experience, but you got a pot wad full of cash in your front pocket and back pocket and just buy a seat. And I know it's seen it. I've seen it done and I've seen it quite a bit. And all these guys bring sponsors and start running a full year. I mean, look at Austin Hill. He did it. He got his truck ride, right? But he also mm -hmm. won the first race out. Yep. And, he, yep. He, yep. and he's moved up and he did it again. So, um, but there's, there's others that have failed with the money in their back pocket. There's some guys that brought sponsors that didn't have the money themselves that they have failed miserably and we've only seen them maybe a year or two. And then they 
go away for a year or two, and the next thing we know, we see them racing super late models on asphalt or dirt. And the more experience they get in the seat, the better off, and then they come back and show it again, and, you know, it works out for them. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think Drew Dollar actually ever won a super late model race either. Could be wrong, but I don't think he did. Yeah, there's a there's a natural progression that needs to happen. You need to win in whatever you start out at, whether it be Legends Bandoleros or even Super Stocks. Um, you need to be a proven winner there. Then you need to be a proven winner in late models. You need to be a proven winner um, in some sort of bigger late model series or the ARCA. You know, you need to be. Um, a contender all the way up the ladder. And as of late last few years, and dollar's not the only one who's, um, you know, who's guilty of this. Um, you mentioned Riley Herbst. He's another one that wasn't really all that successful until he really got into Arca with the big Gibbs money. Um, and even at that mildly successful um, Gibbs is the one that I'll give kind of the pass to just because he did go in and whoop ass everywhere. Um, but we see a lot of kids now just get rushed up because we're treating it not necessarily the fans, but NASCAR, the team owners, um, the sport in general are treating it like any other stick and ball sport where 18 is the age you need to be in and 40 is the age you need to be out, um, which is completely ass backwards in NASCAR where 30 is the really kind of where you start hitting right. your prime and you don't leave that prime until late 40s. You know, even Mark Martin went longer than that. Harry Gant went longer than that. Um, so I think first off, it needs to happen as a mentality shift of these team owners into you know, you can have these young kids in the cars for 10 years and they're going to tear up a ton of equipment and cost you a ton of money. And they're probably not going to win a ton of races to start out with. Um, you know, we saw it with Joey Logano. Joey Logano got moved up to cup way too soon. That's an argument for another day. Um, it's going to be a long season for Drew Dollar. He's got more Xfinity starts coming up. Yeah, tells me he, Jeremy's not going to be the only one he plows into. You know, right. guarantee he's going to go off track in somewhere else. He's going to lose it just like he did. Daytona is one of the easiest tracks to hold on to your car at. Um, he wasn't being pushed super hard. We saw guys make 10 times harder saves in that. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a really long season. He's probably going to piss quite a bit of people off. And Drew doesn't have to pay for that car he wrecked. Joe Gibbs got plenty of money. He can he can foot that bill, no problem. Jeremy has to pay for his, you know. Um, if he'd have wrecked Ryan Sieg, he's got to pay for his. Brandon Brown doesn't have sponsorship. He's got to pay that out of pocket. You know, there's a lot of you get up to the Xfinity teams. There's a lot of single car teams that are driver owned. You're going to really he's probably going to catch one in the mouth for the end of the season if he keeps it up like this. Um, I don't think Daytona was the place to really start him out at. I think maybe he should have started the August Daytona race, if any, um, and started out at like a Bristol or a Martinsville or hell, even a Las Vegas, you know, throw him somewhere like that. Um, it, it's going to be a long season. I do credit him, though, because he took two really hard swings that outside wall in almost the exact same spot. And he still couldn't knock it down. Damn. <laughs> See, I, I will agree with you um, that, you know, your, your discussion on development and everything. I mean, we're, we're seeing that shift, right? We're seeing Landon Castle come back in. He's in his thirties. We're seeing Josh Berry finally get that shot. He's, he's developed as a person, as a, even a driving coach at this point. And he is, he is about to hit his prime. Uh, our previous champion, Daniel Hemrick, who's been here for a while, is finally coming into his prime, and we could see him knock off some more wins. Um, I mean, some of these some of these guys that are, are rushed up, you know, Riley Herbst, like you said, is one of those guys that has torn a bunch of stuff up uh, just because he's got to beat a cup. Um, 
But to say that you shouldn't start someone on Daytona um, in an Xfinity car is a little bit funny to me because the Xfinity cars have always been described as the most stable on the speedway tracks, right? Because of their body shape, because of the drafting package. I still don't understand how this dude got loose coming off of turn two, and I don't remember him getting pushed. So I, I don't know. I, I, I can't. I'm thinking that he thought he was in the ARCA car and it handled a little bit different and he oversteered. I mean, yeah. it's just yeah. just that simple and it's not got the downforce the truck did, but still, I mean, I think it's just a matter of trying to do too much in one day. Yeah, I agree. Um, the point about Daytona wasn't so much that the cars are harder to handle there because they're not. It's the amount of how many cars you can take out if you do make a mistake. Right. Gotcha. Um, you know, you're not going to take out 12 cars at Bristol, you know. Yeah, I, I can understand that. But, you know, with the runs and everything, the Xfinity Series seems to be the tamest of, of speedway racing. Yeah. Um, so let's let's keep on with the Saturday show. Um, let's let's go on. Um, let's a couple of mentions of college drivers. Um, Daniel Hemrick and A.J. Allmendinger were making moves early, Hemrick winning both stages, and then uh, they left Landon Castle out to dry most of the day. What do you guys think about that? Um, I think it has to do with the fact that Landon, A, hasn't raced around these guys a ton. Um, okay. He's never really been in competitive equipment, at least in a long time, especially in the Bush Series, Xfinity Series. Um, and he's never really worked with a spotter either before. They don't have that kind of connection yet that some of these other guys will. Um, he doesn't know when his calls are going to be in relation to the cars around him. So I think it's just going to take a little bit of time, and they were more like, hey, let's not let's not risk it. Let's not run over our heads here. Colleague's still going to be a powerhouse at all these super speedway races, and I definitely expect him to be a factor at Dalladega next time we go. Hey, you look at Jeb Burton when he first started with them too. They didn't uh... – who was it? Almondinger and um, Haley. Haley didn't draft with him right off the get go either. I think it is how do they work together? And Hemrick knows Almondinger well enough to know that they can work well because he's raced with him the last three years. Castle, who's been in the JD Motorsports cars and some of the other ones, I mean, he even drove for Morgan Shepard. So he, he's driving back there in 20th to 21st, but yet when the other people's wreck out, yeah, he's, he does show up in the top 15 in an Xfinity race, right? But it doesn't mean that he's up there earned the respect to be there the whole time and knowing exactly what he needs. Um, he gets up there and, and he, he's the pusher, and he'll get that opportunity. But I don't see that happening until like Talladega or Daytona. The first one was just – they were out there and Castle's getting used to the new team and they were they were not expecting Castle to finish in the top 15 or maybe they were expecting the top 15 but not a top 5 or a top 10 yeah right so uh with that being said let's move on to the end of the race no way not to talk about it um a bit of safety concern uh, happened during the end of the race, we saw a car get airborne and just slice through a uh, the fence and everything. The 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 cab stayed together, but Mike Snyder's 
you know, rear axle is bouncing down the track and we didn't even see the, the engine for a solid five minutes while they were trying to figure it out where it was on the Fox broadcast. Colton, I know we had some talks about that this week in our, um, in our group chat with Nathan and you and you and him uh, talked about some, some separate stuff. Um, so what, what are your feelings on, on the reaction uh, from people on social about that wreck? Um, mixed. I mean, I saw some people who way overplayed it. Um, and I saw some people who way underplayed it. You know, it's, it's a very scary wreck. Um, it doesn't just look violent. It was violent. You know, it ripped through a fence. It sent parts to the other side of the fence into Michael Jordan's bus. You know, who knows who could have been hit had things flown a couple feet this way or that way. Um, the cars in, especially going at that speeds, you're probably not always going to keep them on the ground. That's just physics. Um, I get that, but we need to try our best to keep them on the ground because once cars get up in the air and they start hitting fences, parts rip off. And I mean, there's just way too many variables and way too many unknowns about where those parts are going to fly. You know, it's not like our fences are 70, 80 feet tall to catch everything. And they're not even double layered in most spots of the track. So you get through that. There's a big hole between you and the track. Um, I don't know how we fix it. I assume that NASCAR research and development is already on it. They've already admitted that they have that car. They're looking it over. Um, it held together really great. He got out of there quick. Um, it definitely wasn't a hold your breath for 20 minutes moment, but it was still enough of a concern to say, okay, we need to look at this. Cause it didn't even take a ton of force for that car to go over. Right. And then it just ripped to shreds. Um, yeah. I think and my, it, my main thing was we, we've lost the engine twice now in recent memory with Kyle Larson's going into the stands. Uh, we had well, some Austin wheels. Dillon. Yeah. And Austin Dillon as well. Um, and we've, we've got to figure out some way to keep the engine and the axle uh, back. So I'll bring up a point that Nathan brought up um, that he was really concerned about. And that is head injuries um, because of parts that are at a stop. Now, when he's saying this, that the, the cars hit the fence and come to a stop, but cars under are coming after you, you know, still at 150 mile an hour, even though they're on the brakes. So he had mentioned a couple of years ago in a practice crash, there was a car that a ballast uh, went through the windshield and almost hit the driver. Um, we see in Formula One when Felipe Massa's head got hit by a spring, stuff like that. Um, there's there's only concern for me safety-wise for, for the cars that are under the cars that are wrecking. Uh, same thing with, with uh, you know, when the sixth car of Ryan Newman got – uh, you know, Corey LaJoey to the face um, in his wreck in Daytona in 2020. That is the only concerns for me. I do want to turn it over to my dad, though. So, Chad, you were at the racetrack. What were the vibes in the Xfinity garage? And also, since you know uh, Jordan Anderson a little bit, did you by any chance talk to him about the implications of that wreck on his race team? I did not because they were a little too worried about everything and how everything went because it was their car. Um, a lot of the guys went over to the um, infield care center, was waiting on Myatt to get out and be released. And, you know, to me, he come out of there pretty quickly. So that was a great observation to actually see that it didn't take long for him. And then, of course, they just wanted to make sure he didn't get a concussion. So he's also been looked at and 
treat it again to make sure everything is good so he can race in Fontana this coming week. Um, I haven't spoke to Jordan yet, but, you know, they've got to look at a lot of stuff and everything just like NASCAR has, and they've looked at it from a distance while they were bringing parts of it in on two different rollbacks. So as crazy as that sounds, that they brought parts of it in on two different rollbacks. But if you go back and look in time in 1987, when Bobby Allison did it, he spun around and it was backwards. You know, it's the way the spoiler angle and the bumpers, and you just really can't stop them. The only thing that's the problem is, is because of that wreck, those fence posts had gotten thicker and more stronger. But the good part is, is that it is ripping some parts of the car away and taking some of the actual uh, force behind it and ripping that away and impacts are going down from that every time he's he's done it so it's it's not compounding on everything that he hits because parts of it is flying off and pressure's releasing off of the chassis and everything when it's doing so that too it's almost like all of these new cars today they are meant to take a hit to absorb impact right so but the fence has got to be there to keep that car from going through the fence and those posts have got to be there so that the car don't go through there and all of those cables so if you look at those big cables and you know you see four of those big humongous cables and they're about that thick so those cables and those big pipes that are coming out of there that make up the fence where they put them on they are there for a reason and a good reason only and that's to keep the bigger pieces from going out and taking out hundreds of fans granted we'll still have small parts go through there and possibly injure somebody but at least it's not going to be a tire like it was in one racetrack that come up and hit and kill two or three people in the stands at one point in time but it's definitely scary no matter what part it is but if you see that you really want it to happen in the corners where no people are right that's just my opinion there but you know you can't always tell a wreck where to happen of course so but anytime you see it and you know that there's campers or buses or anything, even if it's going toward the infield, you, you seem to worry about what's going through there. And you, you really can't make those fences any smaller because you want people to be able to see through the fence so they can see the racing. Right. Yeah. But they could, you know, so I don't know what, what to change to make it better, but I'm pretty sure that everything looked as well as it could be with this minimal impact to anything outside of the fence and the maximum destruction of what was inside the fence and somebody still get out, walk away and not have any damage to them. It's at all, except for a little bruise or two. Yeah. And that there is an associated risk of, of going to any of these motorsports events because freak accidents do happen. Right. But I think the general consensus is that we need to do better. Um, there's always room for improvement. And the fact that we had a suspension part in the grill of Michael Jordan's truck, uh, if it wasn't him, it doesn't matter. That's still a fan that's back there that's paid to be on the back straightaway. That if, like Colton said, was a few feet one one direction, I mean, dude could be having his back towards 
the race on the grill and all of a sudden he's loose he's lost an arm because that suspension piece went through it i mean um stuff like that is is bound to happen when we're tearing apart cars to dissipate the energy but as as far as far as trying to collect some of this stuff we we need to figure out something better to save us from having to deal with injured fans and injured drivers um, well, I think I from, think we'd have to have hundreds of extra cameras so that we could see where certain pieces are going in super slow motion so that we knew if it came off the car or if that part was bouncing down the track and got kicked up over the fence and it landed there or if it went through the fence after he had tore the fence down from another car coming and it hit that windshield and it was just at that perfect angle. Yeah. You know. Uh, unless we've got so many cameras that we could replay that way and just find stuff. I don't know that you could do it with the camera angles and the limited cameras that we actually have there due to the smoke and everything that mask it from part of the coverage. Yeah. Yeah. That are putting some sort of, you know, tracking piece on each, you know, semi-major part. Um, drivers getting hurt or one thing. Um, because racing is dangerous. Fans getting hurt is a completely different one because they're just there to watch the race. Right. Um, there is an associated risk with it. However, no one wants to go to a race and see the people in their section hurt, you know, or any people at all for that matter. Right. And, uh, I mean, luckily we haven't had to deal with that in, in quite a few years, I think since the Austin Dillon wreck in 2015. Mm -hmm. But um, on a less somber note, uh, let's move to Sunday and the Daytona 500. Um, full capacity, everything. I do want to say that it looked electrifying from the TV about the amount of people there. How did it feel at the track? Well, if, if y'all caught uh, either one of my Facebook lives while I was there at the track, I was walking through the concourse and everything. The atmosphere, the people was electric. Um, they were very happy to be there. I mean, it was almost like um, for a lot of them, they've been to so many races, but maybe they missed 2021 there because they couldn't have traveled due to some COVID restrictions or whatnot. Right. It was like they had been to their first 510 years. Everybody was stoked to be there. And I mean, I'm I, I'm sorry, but the Thunderbird flyover during the national anthem is just sweet as all get out. If I don't know what it takes to get those guys there, but they fly over the track twice, do two different maneuvers, and then they come back and fly down the back straightaway in the airport and pull off some incredible maneuvers before they come back and land it's before the race and everything it's almost like the biggest hair standing event on the back of your neck once they start with the prayer the national anthem and then come to gentlemen start your engines and it's like holy smokes i mean it was awesome yeah i mean yeah. The beer lines were long, so Colton, remember, Bush Light was being sold quite a bit, and the restroom lines were even longer than that. I can promise you. Well, if I go, I'll, I'll make a game plan so I don't have to stand in them long-ass beer lines as long. <laughs> yeah, they allow coolers in, so we, we shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't have too much of a problem with that. 
my buddy Kyle, he took a cooler of about seven or eight beers, but he said he didn't want to run out. So when he went to the restroom and saw how short one of the beer lines was closest to the end toward turn one, he stopped and got two or three more and put in there and drank them and then still had his stash to go. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, going into the 500, obviously um, biggest event of the year for us, a lot of new things to learn this year with the next gen car. I said at the top of the show, we didn't know how the race was going to go. Colton reiterated that when we were talking about the Thursday night races and the duels not showing teams what was going to go on. Um, let's just go ahead and get into it. What are your guys' reviews of the first next-gen plate race for money? Um, you have any concerns for anything? You know, I mean, other, other than the obvious ones of well, – we'll, we'll probably get to the Harrison incident um, – you know, as well as the wheels, um, those will need to be looked at. But overall, I mean, I thought it was great. Um, I still haven't seen these cars in person, so I can't say a whole lot about them other than on TV. They look like race cars. They didn't look like boxes going around like we've seen for the last 15 years. Um, it was badass to see these cars out there. The numbers don't bother me as bad. I still would rather prefer them on the center of the door. Correct. But, you know, I'll, I'll put it in the back of my mind for now. Um, the racing looked good. Um I didn't see some of the bonsai runs like we've seen the last few years, which, I mean, I go either way on. Um, I mean, I thought the cars looked really good. Um, it's going to be just a little bit of a learning curve, at least for this first half season to the first season, um, into some where the drivers are completely confident in them, um, and we really see some some damn good racing. Uh, let me just reiterate the fact that what you're hearing on TV is nothing like what you're really hearing at the racetrack they got a beefier sound. They sound more like real muscle car race cars to me. Um, they do look better than the Gen 6 race cars. Um, the one lug thing still looks a little odd to me. Of course, I've had five lug nuts for, what, 49 years that I've looked at on TV. And, 49, 48. And, yeah. And... Uh, so um, the number part, like you said, doesn't bother me. Some some of the schemes looked incredible with those numbers up front. Some of them would have looked better if they would have been in the center. Some of them might would have actually looked better if they looked like that in the all-star race where it was closer to the rear fender, depending on what, and put the sponsor in front. I wish they weren't mandated on where, and they would allow them to actually put them where they would like to yeah, you know, to make the scheme look worthwhile for their sponsor. Other than that, dude, the racing took care of everything. Yeah, I, I was afraid after watching Thursday night that we needed to go ahead and tweak the package. I thought for certain that they weren't going to be able to put on passes and stuff like that. I was like, they need to put a wicker bill on here. We're not getting passes. We're not getting runs. And then Sunday rolls around come to be that we're not getting quite the runs that I want after seeing the last couple of years of plate racing, uh, which I've said on this podcast, I, I don't like pack racing, uh, but this kind of hybrid tandem stuff, it was palatable for me and a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I did like that these bumpers were lockable. A lot of people, including Nathan, were saying that they were going to be really hard to bump and it was going to lead to a lot of wrecks. It really didn't 
lead to that many wrecks is I saw guys like Kyle Busch be able to push all day long. Uh, Brad Keselowski was one that could not push all day long. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I thought the package did its job. It was definitely a Daytona 500 race. It was definitely an, an exciting one at that. It was not 2002 all over again like I thought it was going to be. But, hey, we've we've come a long way with the Gen 6 package from being just absolute dog shit to the best thing I've ever seen on a restrictor plate race that's not tandem racing. So I'm very, very much looking forward to the evolution of this next-gen car on these speedway tracks because the baseline, it's already pretty damn good. Um, as far as some of this stuff, um, uh, I know we brought up Harrison Burton and Brad Keselowski already, but um, let, let's get into the Harrison Burton and Brad Keselowski and, and Ricky Stenthouse kind of blockchain because they're all um, just Brad's fault. Let's just be real. Um, so what do you guys have to say about about Brad and uh, making these big-ass pushes? Brad's aggressive. I mean, anyone who didn't know that Brad was aggressive was probably a new fan. Um, we come from a Gen 6 where you could push super hard on these cars um, to where these next gens, we still don't know a ton about how they handle. Um, the Harrison thing, all right, fair. Um you know, uh, MTJ was even pushing Harrison a little hard and Harrison was getting kind of squirrely. So I don't know that I put either of those completely on Brad, even Stenhouse. Um, you know that Brad's the best pusher in that, in that scenario. And you, he picked his own line. He could have split the Penske cars up. He chose to go with Brad. Um, I, I don't put it a hundred percent on Brad. Could he have been a little tamer, at least with the Harrison uh, incident? Yeah. Um, but I mean, such as racing. Um, it's not like he did it with any malicious intent. It's not like he threw a shitty block and put his own teammate in the wall. Um, but you know, he, he does, he, now he knows he needs to back off. Right. Harrison Burton, brand new car. He knows not what he can and cannot do yet. He is about as green as there he is when it comes to cup racing and the bouncing and the pushes from a car on these speedway races. Stenhouse, he knows. You need to let them bump in. Xfinity. Let them bump in Xfinity. Yes. But, Jesus fucking Christ. How can you learn if you can't bump draft in Xfinity? So, therefore, you know, you got Stenhouse, who's a little bit as aggressive as Brad, right? Yeah, right. Well, You've got two pushers. Stenhouse don't like to be pushed. This car and the roundness of the bumper, we know that Kyle pushed a lot of people in the right spot. And I think him and Christopher Bell worked at best, but if you actually watch them, they were not exactly straight up. You had one of them a little further to the right, just like the old tandem draft stuff. And it kept that car because of this part right here was, you know, pushing right here on the edge and the curves actually met up and allowed them to push that way. But straight up, straight up, knuckle to knuckle, that's where I think Brad got the rookie in trouble. And I think that's where he got um, Stenhouse in trouble. Um, he was pushing too hard in the dead center and the cars are moving around already because of the air. 
and all it takes is one little slip to the left, and there you there they go, and that's what happened to both of them. So for me, I'm I'm kind of the definition of a teeter totter on this one. Both incidences I can blame on both drivers. Okay, so it's too early in the race. You shouldn't be pushing that hard. Come on, man. It's just the end of stage one. You don't need to be taken out the field in you know this 65th lap or whatever it was of the Daytona 500. You're going too aggressive. I know that's your nature, but you're also a grizzled veteran. You should know better, right? Harrison Burton should also at this point say, I've been knocked loose three times now by two different drivers. I and my spotter need to say, oh, shit, we need to go to the back. We need to come down pit road, fix this loose uh, off that we have in this race car, get back out there, drive to the front, go win this fucker. That's what everybody was hyping him up to do. He couldn't do it because he got trashed. Both drivers I can put blame on. When it comes down to the Ricky Stenhouse thing, it is the end of the race. You chose to get in front of the guy who's been the most aggressive all week long. You are sleeping in the bed that you made, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. But also, Brad Keselowski, you dumped the guy earlier in the exact same area doing the exact same thing. You should have known that you push on the straightaway and you push three quarters of the way through the turns. And as soon as you start losing that hill, you lay off just a bit. That is what the other guys were doing that were pushing so hard, so aggressive all day. That is how the 18 of Kyle Busch got anyone who was in front of him to accelerate that outside line all day. And you should know better. So I I, I can put blame on all four people in this scenario. Um, Two play devil's advocate. They did mention um, in the beginning of the week that these cars had almost they had foam in the bumpers in the front and the rear. Um, so at, at least with the Harrison thing, we didn't see Brad push a ton in the duels. And I don't know how much he really pushed in practice either. So maybe he really didn't know how hard he was shoving Harrison there. Right. And again, towards the end of the race, you need to expect that, right? They're coming down just under 10 to go. Um but just to play devil's advocate there, I don't think we see this from Brad in the future. Um, I definitely think it was more of a learning moment of how hard can I push safely? And obviously he, he messed it up twice. So now he knows better. Yeah. I, 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 and I also don't think the comment of, of he's just getting all this competition out of the way so that he's got less people to fight for the win in the Daytona 500 is, is not, um, not a valid response. I mean, he may have been more aggressive, calculating that he was going to ruin some of these really good drivers chances. The Fords great all day, probably an accident that he put the 21 out because mm-hmm. of the relationship with, with the fact that he's got the same engine in. And then, you know, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is not a slouch. He's got two or three plate runs and he is very, very aggressive when it comes to plate racing. I, mean, I, I think it was purposeful. I don't think it was a mistake, honestly. And that's just my opinion. I I can say what I can say about everything. I'm not Brad Keselowski, so it doesn't matter. So what we'll do is we will move on from that to the latter stages of the Harrison Burton incident. And that car flipped. Um, and that's all I'm going to say. From there, you guys have it. Um, first off. Fox completely missed it. We had to have Clint Boyer a minute or so after the wreck ended 
to go, hey, hang on here. I think one of those cars flipped. Oh, and then they cut back the camera angle and saw it. Um, you know, I get it. You can't cover every aspect of a crash as it's happening. Um, and especially with two cars sliding on the inside wall, chances are those are going to be the bigger impacts. And no one really expected that car to go over as easy. He wasn't being hit super hard at that point. He had scrubbed off enough speed. He was probably going about a buck fifty, um, maybe a little bit more than that. But he wasn't going 180, 190 um, for that car. And it didn't even get all the way around. It got sideways and kind of got the tail ahead of it a little bit and flipped around. I'm really surprised that we only saw that one car go over with how easy that one flipped. Um, that is something that will need to be addressed by the R&D team. Um, cause we do not want cars flipping, um, at all if we can help it, but especially, I mean, you're talking 150, 160 miles an hour. That means cars are going to go over at Fontana at Las Vegas, at Atlanta, at Texas, at Charlotte. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on and on that. We're going to start seeing these blowovers at tracks that we've never really seen them at before. I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think it's more along the lines of when it was sideways, if you go back and watch the replay and everything, he was sideways and then he got hit in the door, but you don't see that they get hit as much because of the composite bodies, right? That they were running the same speed while he got sideways and that push allowed the air to come up because when it got hit, the back end, the other side got some air under it when it popped up from where he got hit at that point. And that let him go on up over it. And to me, it just looked like a typical, okay, a little bit of force, a little bit of air. We let the air under there and it flipped over. Sort of like uh, 1987 when Ken Trader did it at Daytona on the 4th of July race. It, it was just the right scenario about the way that it was sliding sideways and the air got under it based on it. But it was just a one-time rollover it wasn't like one of these violent ones to where no. it comes up and lifts up so far and then they start barrel rolling so yeah therefore i don't really see that as being as big of a deal as say one of those instances yeah and for me i thought it was a bit of an overreaction um from just the standard social uh fans oh my god he flipped we're all gonna die that's basically what what the alarm was sounded on sunday we saw Joey Logano flip in a very similar incident. We've seen Brendan gone, uh, Matt Crafton, um, Kyle right. Larson. Kyle, we've, seen a, uh, we've seen two or three these people guys. do that and land on Ryan Newman. So Right. And, 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 and these cars are getting sideways, and then they get hit. And if they don't get hit, I don't think they go over. Because we've got the roof flaps and stuff, do we need to make some changes? Probably, absolutely. Um when this first came out that this underbody was going to have a lot of aerodynamic under it, um, it's a little bit less intricate thanks to Harrison rolling over than I thought it was, uh, but it's basically a flat pan. And Nathan and I discussed a couple of incidents um, in the IndyCar series, but more importantly, one that happened in 1999, I think it was, at Le Mans with Mark Weber uh, in a Mercedes uh, P1. It Flat bottom, just got a little bit of height, flipped over just like that. When you have a board like that, I mean, just like a, a plank on the back of some dude's truck that's not secured, if it gets enough air under it, it becomes a flying object. Um, I think the only thing that we need to take away from this is there needs to be some way for the air to escape from the car when it's sideways because it's going to get hit 
when it's sideways at some of these bigger tracks. And I don't think we even have to worry about that. I know Jared in our um, in our uh, group chat said something about worrying about Michigan and Auto Club and Pocono um, as as some of these tracks that we're going to get loose at because the the nature of this car is a lot less grippy than the last generation and somebody could get sideways and flip. I, I just, I don't know that I see it happening, but I think the contact doesn't have to be as hard as it used to, to flip them if they are sideways, because we just, we've got a piece of board just under the car now. There's nowhere for the wind to go. Well, I, I would I'd almost be willing to put a dollar on the fact that we will see a car this year flip at a track. That's not a Daytona or a Talladega, not one of the normal places. I mean, y'all did see all of the stuff to, they, to get the air out from the front, right? I mean, it's yeah, basically yeah. flat from there back. And then the diffuser actually has where anything trapped underneath it comes out in between the car and everything. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't see anything that's going to be that bad once you start getting to some of these other tracks because the tires are different, meaning the compound of the tires they're going to be a lot more grippier at certain places because of the difference in asphalt to where I don't see that you're going to have that issue. The, I mean, wh what's going to happen with these pans at Fontana as bumpy as that thing is worries me more than anything else, because they're going to be going down there and hitting that pan and everything. They're going to have to. Well, they ground, up. they ground the concrete. They didn't pave the backstretch, like I think we all agreed they should have. Um, they ground it to be smooth, and then they're putting the resin and stuff on it. So it should be a little bit grippier in the corners and a little bit smoother on the back straightaway. I think the the biggest thing is we're just going to have to wait and see. You know, mm -hmm. one of these guys is going to have to get loose off of turn two on the back straightaway at Fontana and at 150 mile an hour be sideways and see if it really does need that contact to flip them over or not. I don't think it does, but I do think it needs less contact, if that makes sense. Because it just looked like he had a little doink from whoever was behind him and, and not a hard hit like we saw with the Logano crash or the uh, the Brennan crash yeah. or the Chase Elliott crash from 2016, etc. cetera. You, you are correct on that. Yeah. And I do want to bring up, since you said something about tires – um, one of the biggest issues that I think we all saw on Sunday was that we're not running interliners with these tires. I'm not sure if interliners are possible with these tires, as small as the sidewall is. But as soon as you got one or two flats, these cars were beached. And that was even on flat pavement, not just when guys were in the grass. What are we going to do to fix this? Well, I don't, I'm not sure, but we, I saw plenty of them running around the racetrack with one flat. Didn't matter what corner it was. One flat was good. If you got both right sides, that car wasn't moving. If you had the fronts or the backs, that car wasn't moving. That might be the biggest issue. But one, they could do it and get back around. We've seen two or three of those at Daytona. And thank God I was there in person to see it because y'all would have never saw it on on tv more than likely but and they do go a little bit slower because they're already that closer to the ground you know these cars do sit a little lower than the gen 6 cars so yeah. it didn't take much but then you also didn't have that much tire over the rim so when it was flat it looked like they were running on rubber that was about that thick with the rim that close to the ground it wasn't like that big 
fat piece of Goodyear rubber and they were running on this much all the way around anymore. I mean, you, it, that's, that's a big difference right there. So, yeah. I mean, how do we fix that? How do we not have these guys get beached? How do we have them be able to run around the racetrack with a couple of flats? Because with a softer sidewall, because it's not as strengthening, but or it doesn't have as much strength because it's this, this, this tall rather than this tall. When you spin out at one of these big tracks, like we're going to this weekend, you're gonna have four flat tires. You're not gonna have one or two like usual. They're all they're all gonna pop. You might have the left front stay up if you spin with your right side towards turn three. If you come out of two. Um, I, I, how do we prevent that from happening? Because competition-wise, it's not fair for someone to bump into me and then I lose laps because I can't fucking move. I mean, they need to have the rollbacks and they need to have the records as soon as they are start heading to these cars, just like the AMR response team. You know, they need to be there because if they got two flats, they're going to have to be pushed to the pits. But they need to be there with the pushing record and not a rollback. Yeah, I think if they go this direction, I don't think we see it as much at some of these other tracks. We do Daytona, Talladega, um, maybe even Fontana, where the cars, they want to get them so sucked to the ground to get that aerodynamic advantage. Um, Granted, I do think we'll see it at Las Vegas a little bit, at Charlotte a little bit. Um, I don't think it'll be quite as profound. Um, But I think NASCAR, if they're going to keep this route and just, you know, if they're not going to do anything about it immediately – change the rule of if you can't drive your car back, you have to go to the, the infield care center, give these teams some slack. You know, um, yeah. if it's just a couple flat tires and you can see they're spinning the rear wheels, give them a pushback and then put them on the damage uh, vehicle policy. Um, you know, there's gotta be some sort of change to where your day isn't ruined just because you lost off a of four and popped two tires and now you're stuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I believe that Denny lost five laps uh, from just that, um, obviously he retired a little bit later, but yeah, how is yeah. that fair? How is I, that fair to anybody? I, I, yeah, I think a change to that safety policy would would help mitigate that. Yeah. Well, well the, the one the one person that I I did see that blew the tire, he lost two laps just going around the track as slow as he did before he got to his pits. Yeah, and they were under caution. Yeah, I mean that's huge. Yeah. So I, I don't think that this is the wrong direction for the tire. I think it's probably going to be good as, as we move on. Um, but we got to figure something out because it's and, not and good for will. competition. They will. Um, yeah. You know, these, these guys are smart. Uh, I'm pretty sure Goodyear's already on a thing and yeah. a situation that they might actually be developing a possible interliner or a very, very, much so stiffer, durable sidewall for these things so that they will hold up even with a flat to where they're not squished down as far as they are so they can get back around to it. I mean, they, they, you know, it might have, we might have did this stuff with the next gen car an extra year and pushed it out a year, but say that these tires should have probably been being started worked on for three or four years so that the technology could be ramped up and worked on for these tires. But they didn't understand the fact until NASCAR started developing the car. It's been researched and developed the same amount of time the car is, but they've only had so many on-track tests. So they've only been able to do so much with them so far. So give them a little time. I'm pretty sure they'll they'll move it on up and get to it. But 
I would definitely start asking some of these other tire manufacturers for these IMSA cars and these prototypes and see what kind of stuff that they're doing. I would definitely want a collaboration between them because they don't seem to have those problems quite as much. Yeah, I mean, they're also not looking at as much force as we are, and they don't really have too many flats on those, and um, it's just going to be a learning curve. I think everything that we're complaining about is really mundane, really nitpicky, and that's what we do because we're just super fans. I don't think I'm worried too much with this next-gen car. I think we got a lot of answers that we liked uh, at Daytona. We're going to get a lot more answers this next week at Fontana, um, and luckily we get to see the schedule go down and down and down. So we'll see the two-mile track, the mile-and-a-half track, the flat-mile track. Then we'll go to a brand-new surface at Atlanta. And then our sixth race, this trial by fire will end at our first road course. And we're going to really see from the shortest of short tracks at the Coliseum to the road course at Circuit of the Americas just exactly what we've got. And I think that's a brilliant way that the schedule's worked out. Um, this trial by fire is going to show us what we need to know. So by race seven, guys, we're going to have all our answers that we need to know what is wrong if we're NASCAR with everything. And we can go to these little things where these podcasters who are armchair racers nitpicking our car, and we can say, hey, we knew about that shit. Here, we've got a fix for it in week seven. We've got a fix for it in week ten. Okay, the next time you come to the Coke 600 – we got interliners. We don't. We don't even have to worry about flat tires anymore, etc. So I'm not worried about it. Sky's the limit right now. This next gen platform is working as it was supposed to, in my opinion, um, and it put on a hell of a show. Um, so let's get into a little bit of a rantiness uh, part of the show. Um, it's time to see just how mad I can make uh, Colton. And first off, we're going to talk about Fox's coverage. 38.9% of the race was under commercials, according to a post on Twitter that may or may not be true. 38.9% of this um, race was under caution. I'd have to go back and watch it. I will do these more this this season. Maybe I'll do it every other week um, so I can get a good, um, good comparison of Fox versus NBC. We saw NBC last year when I would run these. I would go through the race, the entire race, and live tweet it. Lap seven, we go to commercial, we come back lap 11. You know, here's how many laps we missed. This is the percentage of the race so far. Um, that wouldn't surprise me to be at almost 40%. It seemed like there were a ton of commercials. Um, and especially, we even saw it on Saturday, where they went to commercial um, with 17 laps to go, came back, or no, they went with 20 to go, came back with 15 to go, and immediately went back again with 12 laps to go to commercial came back and we saw like the last nine laps. Um, I get it that this is your biggest race. Fox needs to sell this TV space, but we don't have Super Bowl commercials. We don't have companies paying millions and millions of dollars for these spots to make sure their commercials get shown. And unlike football and unlike baseball and basketball and hockey, we're actually missing game time during these commercials. Um, it's not like we can take a timeout and, you know, play on the field stops. Imagine how the uproar if during the Super Bowl you're watching, you know, oh, Stafford throws an interception. We'll be right back after these commercials. And then you got to see on a side-by-side -side the rest of the play, you know, pan out. I get it. NASCAR is different. We can't really do that. But I would much rather miss – I would almost rather miss pit stops and just flag to flag. Caution, show us a couple replays, come back to green. Fit, you know, a seven-minute commercial break in there 
um, than miss, you know, every seven, eight laps, however long they go for a five minute commercial. Garbage. Um, I will admit it's garbage, but being there, I got to see a hundred percent of the race for well, both I don't Saturday have money, and, <laughs> and, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, but if you think about it, that 500, you only got to see 123.1 laps yeah. out of the 200, right? Yeah. Three and a so month. Me, me, and, me and a couple of other guys in the Xfinity garage was talking about this and the stages. You know, those races are so short in the truck races too, right? They have to do two laps for pit stops for the leaders on one and the other ones on the other, right? These guys are under the impression, why can't we, instead of doing whatever and waiting for commercials to come back and get the race started, we ride around for five laps. Why can't they obviously just red flag the race after that second round, second lap of pit stops and we stop going into turn three? We wait three to four minutes, let them get commercials out of the way, and then we start back up and come back around. And it looks like they did this all at the same time that the commercials were going, except they never missed four extra laps under caution. And that, that gives us four extra laps under green. That is a blessing and a curse. That's, when you that's think about like it. Because nightmare, but you just fixed the problem for all of us and our fat asses at home watching on TV. But what you did is you pissed me who spent $300 to come watch this race to have me and my buds come down on a Saturday or, or a Sunday to watch Xfinity or Cup or, or trucks, what have you. Well, Because I'm just sitting here like, what the hell am I nope. doing? No, there's, you're not. There's nothing because on the at some at some point in the stages, and this is what I realized: as soon as that green and white checker come out, the stands left to go pee because they are there to watch the craziness for that last lap checkered flag on each one of the stages. Then everybody leaves to go pee. Well, that four to five minutes gives everybody time in case there's a long line to pee, grab a beer, and get back. For the beginning of stage two and the beginning of stage three. It okay. works out for the best of both worlds. The people at home that need to pee and get a beer and the ones at the racetrack that need to pee and get a well, beer. Be that as 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 it could be. Maybe I'm just a hard ass who wants to sit through six hours of, of racing without mm -hmm. getting out of my seat and watch flag to flag, no stage ends, no cautions, no whatever. Um, but... As soon as you do that, you make everything longer. One of the things that's wrong with college football right now is that they have pauses after pretty much every play to go to media timeouts and what have you. Games have traditionally been about three hours, and now they're pushing a four-and-a-half, five-hour mark. We have fans complaining about 400 miles at Las Vegas, 400 miles at Dover, 400 miles at Kansas that would not have survived the 500 mile every race that you saw in the eighties and nineties. And you're going to tell me that we're going to extend these races 10 to 20 minutes of red flags. I don't want to hear these people bitching about how long it takes to watch a race because I'm guarantee you within the next three to five years, 400 miles is going to be the maximum of any event that we see. And that's not even going to be a norm. I, I I don't doubt within the next five years, a Las Vegas race is not 300 miles. 
a Dover race is not 300 miles. And the only ones that are more are the Southern 500, the Coke 600, the Daytona 500, and one Talladega race. And we have a 400-mile Talladega race, too. Yeah. And that pisses me the hell off because NASCAR Cup Series is supposed to be an endurance stock car event. And so all I'm hearing is more ways to make these casual fans happy and with their attention spans um, to, to screw over some of the hardcore guys like me and the rest of the racing world at the track. Well, I just, the big thing is quit cutting the commercial so much. Like, right. yeah, I, I would rather see a seven to eight minute commercial break between stages than five minutes here, five minutes here, five minutes here, five minutes here, you know. But people want to see those pit stops, right? I mean, no, I who's going to take two? Who's going to take did, four? My thing is we've got two solutions. A subscription service that lets me watch every piece of on-track minute from I NASCAR, from the Euro Series all the way up to the Cup Series, Mexico and Pinty Series as well, even the eNASCAR Pro iRacing Series stuff too. I'd pay $30 a month for that. I know that people won't pay that much. They'll pay like 5 or $6. I would pay $30 a month for that. And two, side by side. IndyCar has maybe two ad breaks during their races that are full screen. The rest are side by side. Formula One, we don't get a single damn commercial. Fox, NBC, you got to do better. I granted they got to do better. I give them a way to fix it that nobody else has actually been a been a approach to them with. Hey, we've given you four different possible. options. Let's fucking go. Let's let's. This is ridiculous. Thirty nine percent of the race lost. That's ridiculous. What Fox I mean, did right, I will say though, is we saw our boy Dalton Good on TV not once but twice. But twice. And he is now a NASCAR Twitter meme. What do you guys think about one of our star guests who's been on here a couple times and friend of the podcast, Dalton Good, representing Rowdy Nation on TV? I think it's great. And he's Twitter's most famous NASCAR fan. Um, yeah. He doesn't have the most followers, but everyone who is on Twitter um, knows of him to some degree. Um, everyone who interacts on there on a daily basis has seen at least one of his posts. Um, he is, he's probably of all the NASCAR Twitter people that I know, he's probably the one that I would want to show on TV just because he is so animated. He's so just about Kyle Busch and he's not like the, the rowdy, you know, stereotypical slamming beers, um, you know, taking his shirt off and screaming cause Chase Elliott took the lead. Dalton is genuinely passionate. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have a dropout call that entire weekend, and that's just how he runs all the time. Right. Great. I love it. Uh, it was awesome. Not just that, but he's a fellow Rowdy fan to myself. Yeah. And I am a big-time Rowdy fan. I'm not one that's going to push him in your face, but, damn, if I ain't going to pull for him as hard as possible, just like Dalton does, and – Alex will tell you, there's been many times I've bought a brand new hat. What happens when I buy that brand new hat, Alex? That some bitch wins a damn race. So, I mean, here we go. So, and, you know, I didn't buy one Sunday because I figured it jinx him because of just being Daytona. But next year is his 18th year. If I get to go back again, I'm buying the damn hat. He's going to win it on his 18th try in the 18 car. 
with his new sponsor after Eminem lives, leaves this year. And I hope that Dalton Good is there to experience it as well one more time. Yeah, I, I can't say enough about Dalton. He's been on here uh, with us twice. We we have a fantasy group with him. We, we have some uh, Twitter chat with him all the time. Um, he is the epitome of an of a, a passionate NASCAR fan. Um, he is the energy that I have by myself outwardly, and I, I respect him for that because I may say some uh, crazy shit while I'm at a race, but this dude is 100% all the time. I'm glad he's he's gotten recognized, and I do want to say, uh, Coop Daddy, we're not forgetting about you. You were on TV as well. You don't match the energy that he does, but, uh, you, I mean, you guys – that trek down from from Nashville that y'all did, hell of a hell of a ride to get on TV. Not once but twice. Uh, keep up the good work, Dalton, uh, and I'm sure you'll get sponsored by something rowdy here shortly because I can't say that there's a fan out there that does as much for their driver and their driver's brands as you do. Uh, with all that being said, uh, one last thing uh, I do want to say to Colton, um, Austin Sindrick um, is a fucking bitch. I told you guys, I said he'd be the one person that would most be benefiting from the next-gen package because of his road racing background, because of the way these cars are going to drive. And I said that the schedule is going to suit him. He's definitely a lot for the playoffs because of all this. He came out and proved that he was a god among men and won in a race I had not have him pegged for, the Daytona 500. What do you got to say to that? Isn't he your favorite driver? I would like to touch on the finish first. Um, I've heard all week, oh, you'd wreck your mom to win the Daytona 500. I wouldn't wreck him, okay? I wouldn't shove my own goddamn teammate in the wall after he just pushed me all race, all right? I'd want I'd want to give them a fair chance, all right? And I would expect that um, from teammate to teammate. He was this close from making sure Roger Penske did not win another 500. Um, you know, and maybe it's just, awareness of the car, whatever. Um, but man, you, you moved up a little late. Blaney even took his run slow and you still put him in the wall. Um, this is the guy that let you in line. This is the same guy that you hung out in the duels, the duels of all fucking races to push your teammate that don't really make a difference. Whether you finish second or third, you hung him out to dry. Um, and you still didn't win that one either. Um, you know, you were a quarter of a car length away from losing the 500, even with that block. Um, you know, you could have blown out his suspension. We've seen how flimsy these suspensions are in these new cars. Not very good awareness by him. I would like to point out via Jeff Gluck's tweet, Ryan Blaney went to victory lane afterward, um, and he congratulated every single member of the number two team except for Austin Sendrick. Did not congratulate Austin Sendrick. I would not be surprised if Blaney is hesitant in the future to work with Sendrick just because that's twice within a few days. You kind of effed me over. I get it. His dad's the president of Penske. He's signing the checks. Probably doesn't give a shit. Um, but you're about to lose one of your fucking workhorses um, at Team Penske if you keep doing this to Ryan Blaney. Man, you got to have one of the greatest plate racers of right era. He knows what he's doing. I would much rather have seen um, a side-by-side -side battle to the line. We used to never see guys put each other in the wall to win the race other than maybe once a year. Um, and now it seems like at least the last 10 years, every super speedway race going into turn three, you know, they're going to wreck before they get to the line, which to me is complete bullshit. It goes back to the lack of respect. You know, the lack of respect isn't just 
dumping someone. You know, it's also not racing someone. It's, you know, Dale Earnhardt could have dumped several people to win a 500, but he didn't. Um, and that's Dale Earnhardt, you know. Um, tons of things he could have done different right there. Not a huge fan of it. Ah, pissed. Pissed. I know. I mean, I picked Blaney. I texted Colton before the race started. That was my pick for that day. However, I've got mad props for Austin because of I, I have spent time talking with him quite a few times. And Alex knows about some of those talks and trips and walks from the garage all the way to his car outside the track at Charlotte and other stuff like that. But kids got talent. But you said it. There is a respect that is missing nowadays. And it was learned somewhere about 10 years ago. All of these guys, all the way down to legends, to bandoleros, race that way as if Daz has millions of dollars and will fix anything that they wreck. I don't agree with the way that everybody races, but when it is coming down and it's 10 to go, I will not fault anybody for putting anybody into the wall slightly. Now, turning them from the right rear quarter and putting them head first in the wall, that's a little wrong. But if they're going to move them up and just make them touch the wall for a move to where they got to react and they screw up and hit the wall anyway, I'm not going to fault anybody for that because that right there is just racing. And if you can't hold your own line and you think somebody's going to come up and just press you in the wall, it's a completely different story. Maybe you should have pressed back to the left a little bit, right? There's, there, It goes both ways. Different way to look at racing. Is he a god among men? No, not quite. But when you get your first win at the Daytona 500 like him and Trevor Bain, you kind of wonder what the rest of their careers are going to look like. We know how Baines turned out, and yet he's getting another time to it here coming up this week. Cindric, we knew that he had talent, and he can drive the snot out of the car. I think he has a much brighter future. But all in all, I'm still pissed that Blaney didn't win. I think <laughs> – Austin Cendrick needs to buy Blaney the biggest steak dinner he's ever had in his life because he Blaney put him in that position to win. Blaney was also a nice enough teammate to lift in that scenario. He could have just kept pedal down, trashed them both. Um, but he, you know, he wanted a Penske car to go to the to go to victory lane. Um, I I mean, he's my guy, so I'm gonna support him, but I think he is probably the best teammate. Um He's one of the better teammates that I would want to have behind me, um, especially in that scenario. He led Austin line, pushed him all the way around, um, and then lifted in that scenario instead of just completely trashing both of them. Right. So can uh, I give a shout out to the Penske Chrome wheels that they ooh, use versus yes, anything yes. else that they would did? Because they just look too fucking cool. Yeah, uh, that that is an incredible thing that Penske's doing. Um, I can say this. Um, it's really interesting maturing as a NASCAR driver, um, or a fan, excuse me. Um, I have had drivers my whole life. I started out Mark Martin. You see him on my shirt, went to Denny Hamlin, Tony Stewart. Nobody could do wrong. Right. And 
it is awesome to have matured as a race race fan and seen some of these guys come up. I'm pulling for Daniel Hemrick. I'm pulling for Tyler Reddick. I'm pulling for Austin um, Sendrick and Ryan Blaney's coming up. Bubba Wallace. Now I got Kurt Busch as as my my team owner fan. Dumb. He's in he's in a 2311 car and. It's incredible to see this stuff, and there's two two of these guys, and they're so decisive. And I can't fault either one of them because Blaney did what he had to do to get Penske that win because he is a team player, but a little bit more selfishness would have gotten him a 500. Or maybe his best friend Bubba a 500 if he dumps the two. Austin Sendrick drove like a badass. Like, I can't blame him for going in, stepping into Brad's car, and keeping – the thunder of the two car that Brad instilled in that car as being a hard ass on track and, and just doing that. I, it's incredible to watch as a fan. And now you're telling me we're going to have teammates who hate each other. We haven't had that in NASCAR in how long? Hmm. I, I, I can't wait for the rest of the season. I, I, I the, the Daytona 500 has set this year up to be amazing. I will say, I, I almost wonder if, after last year's 500 with both Penske cars trashing each other. So, I mean, close to victory. If there wasn't almost like a come to Jesus moment for the race, like if you two are in this scenario again, you wreck both of my cars, you both are going to feel the wrath of God. Maybe. Cause I mean, again, if I were Blaney, I wouldn't have lifted. I'd have just, that's the move you want to make. I'm, I'm not lifting. I'm trashing both of us. Um, hell of a team player. Austin did drive his ass off. He was in a good spot all day. Um, Man, I just hate it. With you bringing up that point, um, I can say that who does that say anything to? That I mean, that says something to Joe Logano, and that says something to Ryan Blaney. Because like you said earlier, Daddy writes the checks. Austin Cindric might get off a little bit more because right. Tim Cindric is the president over there at Pitsky Racing. So that that is an interesting um, thing to say. Are there any more um, – points that you guys want to talk about as far as the Daytona 500 before we wrap this thing up? Uh, I just want to say that my pick was a quarter of a car length away from winning that race. I'd have picked two out of the four winners so far had that happened, but nonetheless, I've still won twice. I was, I was definitely impressed with the parody of all the cars and you could tell it was the drivers and the engines for those cars that made a difference between the super teams and the less funded teams in the cup series. I was definitely impressed with how much less that the lesser funded teams were behind the other guys on these, this super speedway racing package because we have seen them in the past where there is a huge gap. So to have a bunch of these to where you, we had college cars that fell out of the draft for a while. Right. Austin Dillon, he couldn't keep up with the draft, but Tyler Reddick was up front pretty much all day. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what that what that makes and means, but I think over the next few races, because these cars are so close together, 
but yet the engineers, the motors, and or so let's say engines, and the drivers, you'll get this. You'll get the experience levels to where, yeah, the the ones that know how to drive and have been there before, they're going to take these cars to a different level than what uh, maybe the rookies or somebody that's just been in cup for three or four years but we're going to see a lot of good racing out of it so i'm looking forward to the next six races because of that that's what i got out of daytona altogether and a little a little team that was never meant to be in the daytona 500 qualified in on speed and they got a sponsor on saturday night and they were wrapping the car sunday morning it's it a little was bit of an old school feel, and uh, I, I'm excited for it. I'm excited about the interest um, that's come back to NASCAR. We've got a lot of big names coming uh, from from other popular areas of um, entertainment, whether it's football uh, with Emmett Smith, basketball with Michael Jordan, um, a pit bull from the mu- music scene, uh, Floyd Mayweather with the money team. Um, thought that was a joke for three years now. Finally happened. Um, everything's looking good. Um, we just have to get through these first six or seven races to feel like, you know, fill it out. See, see if this is going to be good. Um, so do you guys, before we get into our, I guess, predictions for next week, do you have anything else? Um, I do have a quick point. You brought up the, the team owners, which is fantastic to see. I'd like to point out when was the last time that in NASCAR we saw um, a bunch of drivers start owning teams and a bunch of celebrities start owning teams mid late nineties. Right. When we saw yeah. Amarino with uh, Troy Aikman, of course, it seemed like every driver ran their own team at that point. Um, and then that led up into the biggest um, yeah. that NASCAR has ever been. Um, I'm not saying we're going in that direction, but it's certainly trending that way to where we're, I think here, especially the, the way this new next gen car looks um, some of the markets that we're hitting the new tracks, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a huge growth in NASCAR over these next few years. Well, I can only hope. <laughs> when, yeah. when Junior Motorsports said that Cup is inedible right now, you know that they're coming. Yeah. Just a matter of when, and that's going to step up the owner game as well. To where I think that we might see people go home from qualifying, and that would be a great thing to see again. And it would make it to where maybe the charter system goes from 36 to 30 yeah. and make some, make some other people decide that they, uh, they've got to qualify in on speed. Granted, we're only starting 10 extra cars, but we, some of these cars don't belong because they finish so bad, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's put it out there and make them qualify for it. I, I believe it'll be good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're going to have to the, – the biggest thing that's going to hinder us as far as growth is is what you said, the charter system. We're going to have to make some steadfast changes, and we've got to do it now. Um, the charter agreements are either up after next year or they just signed last year. I'm not, I'm not certain on that. I don't keep too much up with charters, but we've got to do something. Um, and we've got, to do, we've got to do something fast because if we hit a boom – and we don't have the ability for people who don't have charters to run on Sunday. If we don't exceed ourselves to 43 cars again, we're going to be screwed. Uh, anyways, thanks for watching tonight. Um, 
Auto Club is this week. Uh, really quickly, we'll go through our picks to win. And before we do that, um, Chad, if you don't mind giving us just a prediction of what you think is going to be the outcome on Sunday. I think you have quite a few wrecks on Sunday, believe it or not, because I think somebody's going to, they're going to not really know what to set up the cars for. And we're going to wear out some right fronts and whatnot and blow out some tires. Um, or we're going to have them loose and they're going to overwork that right rear. And you're going to see a lot of good cars go laps down. And we may see another surprise winner this week, or we're going to see the cagiest veterans out there that run well at Fontana. And it could be the 18, the 11, the 22, or the four. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good heap of drivers. So if you've been following fan fuel, for some time, you know that we do fan fuel picks. We've done three races already with the duels, the clash. We did the sun, Sunday with the 500. Our points are Nathan with nine points, Colt with seven points, Alex with six points, and Jared with two points. We get points based on position at finish. Top finishing driver gets three points and two points, one point, and no points for the guy who has the fourth place driver. Uh, we're really quickly going to share with you our picks for Fontana. Jared goes first because he finished last on Sunday. And he takes Eric Almarola. I am going to take up Tyler Reddick because it's an old surface. We can probably run the outside with this next-gen car, so I think that's a fair game. Uh, Chastain is going to be Nathan's pick. And Colton, who is your pick since you get to go last? I want that car right underneath you. Alex, I'm going to take Alex Bowman, the showman. Um, I hope that his track killer name lives up to it. He wins this week. They immediately tear the service up and put in a half-mile short track. I hate you. I love that two-mile track. I love big race tracks, and I don't think that short tracks are going to be the long-term answer. Um, And you can shoot me in the comments if you want for that, but I I know I'm right. I post on Twitter, they need to put half-mile short track in the infield, right, on the front stretch and in to I mean, I pit road if you want. Um, that way you have a nice flat half mile, maybe even a three-eighths mile track, and you still have the two-mile layout. You could do either one. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I just – we don't have very many big horsepower, big, big long tracks that can produce these good races. And just because they repaved Michigan wrong, we've been going down this – this whole thing. So it is what it is. Thanks everybody for watching tonight on Facebook, on YouTube and on Twitter. Uh, we'll get the show out as quickly as we can on our podcast platforms, which are Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, wherever else you take in your audio podcast. And uh, we'll see you on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Now at fan fuel, MSM, capital F, capital F, capital MSM. Don't forget to be part of the fun at, FanFuelMotorsports.com. You can send us emails to anything that you want uh, regarding to articles that you want to publish on there for fan opinions, your at-track do's and don'ts, your at-track experiences, and maybe even some local short track news that none of us are going to know because we're not in your area. You can do that by emailing us at FanFuelPodcast at gmail.com. We'll get with you on that, and we'll start putting content out as we get it. We really want some fan interaction over there, so be sure to go check that website out. We'll be doing a big rebuild on it uh, shortly, so it'll look a lot nicer. More inviting to you guys. 
Uh, other than that, thanks for sticking around for this hour and 48-minute episode. It was a fun one. Thanks to my dad for coming on. We'll see you next week, Colton. Nathan, Jared, or yet you always make fun of me for not being here because of work. Let's hope you're here next week. We'll see you all then. All right, bye.